This is a Federal News Network podcast. Agencies early in the coronavirus pandemic scrambled to scale up their IT systems to handle mass telework and the secure access it required. Now November has arrived and the National Institutes of Health, for one, is working just fine with about 20 percent of its workforce coming into the office. For a progress report, Federal News Network's Jory Heckman spoke with the agency's manager of identity and access management services, Jeff Erickson. The past several months have been extremely busy for NIH staff as they are actively working to try and help all the rest of us get back into the office and not have to telework. My team runs the gamut of services for the almost 40,000 staff at the NIH from all things logical access, from Active Directory services, provisioning, deprovisioning services, the entitlements, permissions management, web access management, device credentialing. So if it relates to identity or credential or access management, we do it. And given our um, connection to the larger biomedical research community, Federation services are also critically important to us so that external researchers are able to connect. Jeff, turning it back over to you, I want to hear more what some of the challenges have been over at NIH when it comes to identity management. You mentioned a a workforce of 40,000 people and the the credentialing in in a mandatory telework environment. Let's start there. How much of NIH's workforce is even working remotely at this point in the pandemic? So let me take those in reverse and say that about 20% of the NIH workforce is actually on site. I mean, they are doing research as we speak. And those folks were affected as well. I mean, when all of this started, and I know we're, we're not unique in this regard, when all of this started and we all were told to stay home and telework, the wheels of the PKI infrastructure that underlies all of our cards, our PIV cards, nobody told them that the clock had stopped. So badges continued to expire and Certificates on cards continued to age, and so I think among the very first things that we all had to scramble to deal with was those two issues in particular. I mean, forget the new people coming on board who were unable to travel to a badging office to get identity proof or uh, have their card issued. It's how do you keep the people who are actually here and badged working when we had my vague recollection. It was it was on the order of 800 badges that were going to expire in the first six weeks and on the order of 2,000, 2,500 certificates that were going to expire. And in either case, those people were going to be unable to log in. So we had to split those apart into two different problems. How do we deal with kicking the can down the road for the people whose badges were going to expire and different actions that we could take for the people whose certificates were going to expire. And that involved then, we were fortunate that our card management system includes a utility, runs on Windows, that allows us to renew our certificates remotely as long as the certificate hasn't expired yet. We have a very large Mac community, so that meant that we had to either push out this utility to Windows desktops or stand up in our virtual desktop environment a working version of the utility so that 
Mac users could log into a virtual desktop and renew their certificate in a timely fashion. I would say the first four to six weeks of the mandatory telework were spent trying to figure out ways to keep staff working. In addition to that, we had issues like others, where now you've got a whole bunch of the workforce that's having to come through the VPN system and making sure that that worked. What do you do if people are having issues with their PIV badge not working for VPN remote access? So that was another early challenge that we dealt with. And then not to forget those people who we were onboarding, which has continued to this day, of mitigating, balancing the risks of how we onboard people safely, how we credential them safely, and of course, securely. So those, I think, were the early things that we dealt with. And um, I think to uh, just as a, I'm sure is a case in point of it's the brave new world of now that we are teleworking more, even if it is 80%, maybe soon to be uh, 60% of the organization, how do we keep supporting telework? How do we keep supporting an organization where the old business processes that we had developed and come to rely on so heavily simply didn't work early on, at least? We talked a lot about some of the agency work with respect to those early months, but as time has passed and things have evolved in some ways, and we're certainly a stable environment, there are no surprises for the average teleworking employee these days. But what lessons learned have you seen emerge, maybe more in this period of time as opposed to earlier on when mandatory telework was a brand new thing? Ultimately, nothing like a good pandemic to accelerate things that you were thinking about otherwise. So things like the whole zero trust model, which includes combining multiple pieces of information, that it isn't just about, oh, if it's Jeff and he has a PIV card, then it's okay for him to access this resource. It is what is the device that they're connecting from and what is the IP address that they're connecting from and what time is it and how does that all relate to that individual where you have higher assurance of who that person is in terms of their identity and you've got that higher level of authentication assurance that you've done for that person. What represents a normal pattern of work for that person? And all of that information is taken together to help determine what sort of access, if any, you're going to allow. So that's the difference between if I'm connecting from a government-furnished laptop from my home office where you see me come all the time, every workday, making a connection starting at this time, ending at this time, and I log in with on that laptop with a PIV card that, okay, I can have this full range of access permissions, whereas if it's a device that NIH doesn't own or control or manage in some way, and the authentication was not done. I think it's Jeff. I'm pretty sure it's Jeff, but I didn't do a PIV authentication. I did some other authentication of me that maybe you construct an environment where you say, well, from that device, given that authentication, 
you can have read-only access to email. You can't print, you can't copy and paste, and you construct those other conditional access policies to shore up what I can do in that space. So all of that has been, we've had a crash course in, in all of that. We were studying, yeah, we'll, we'll look into that before the pandemic. It's, it is front and center in terms of things that we are actively working on as we speak here to, to accelerate all of that. Jeff Erickson, Manager of Identity and Access Management Services at the NIH, speaking with Federal News Network's Jory Heckman. Check out Jory's story at federalnewsnetwork.com. Some people were made to follow the instructions. We were made to make our own. To always measure twice and never cut corners. Unless, of course, we've got a compound miter saw. Northern Tool and Equipment is a problem solver's paradise. There's nothing we can't find, fix, or figure out together. We're made for this. Start solving your projects today at northerntool.com. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.